Dr. James Robertson shares his view on the legacies of the Civil War when we return. Have you let your website go stale? Wish you didn't have to wait for your web developer to return your call when you want to update content? You don't have to. Now you can easily and instantly manage your own website content using affordable Avalar technology. Avalar is a website development and hosting company that provides turnkey Internet solutions for companies like yours that need to stay focused on core business. Avalar gives you the power to control your website and make updates and additions in real time without having to learn HTML or other complicated programming tools. Websites powered by Avalar feature capabilities that attract more customers and enhance relationships with existing customers. Avalar offers a multitude of leading-edge solutions, including lead generation and referral tracking, shopping carts and payment processing, membership management, and search engine optimization, to name a few. Take advantage of the full power of the Internet using Avalar technology at www.avalar.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R.com. Vitality is a natural expression of health, success, and fulfillment. And yet it's rare to meet people bubbling with vitality. That's because most of us push ourselves too hard. And when we trigger the internal alarms that tell us to change our diets, attitudes, or activities, we ignore them. Allowing outside pressures to override our internal alarms undermines our health, sabotages our success, and limits our potential. If you're ready to reclaim your natural vitality, to begin living a life you love, visit thevitalyou.com. There's a birthright that each southern boy inherits when he is born And he carries it forever till the day his mourners mourn It's not founded on old politics of race or slavery Those who see no more than that Care not for history, for our hearts are still with Jackson and our face in General Lee, and we still can taste the sweetness of that one last victory. This is Civil War Talk Radio, and I'm Gaston Espinoza. With me today is Dr. James Robertson. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Robertson. And thank you, sir. What role, if any, did Jackson and Lee's wives play in shaping their attitudes toward the war and and uh, what happened afterwards, especially in Lee's case? Uh, not much in either case, really, in shaping their views on the war. Anna Jackson, uh, the general's second wife, was the daughter of a Presbyterian minister. She brought to that uh, marriage the abiding faith that Jackson already had. But in addition, Jackson, as I mentioned earlier, had been raised an orphan. He was a recluse, an introvert. And Anna Jackson, more importantly, became not merely his wife, but his best friend. And the six years they had together before his death were probably the happiest time of his life. And she was able to bring out a, a lot in Jackson to make him more outgoing and congenial than he might have been otherwise. In the case of General Lee, uh, his wife was Mary Custis Lee. Uh, she had inherited Arlington Estate, which was seized by the federal government when the Civil War began. And to make the uh, blow even more uh, severe, the estate was turned into a cemetery, and today Arlington National Cemetery exists where Mary Custis Lee once owned the land. By the time of the Civil War, she was suffering severely from crippling arthritis, 
and it was getting progressively worse so that by the end of the war she was uh, confined to a wheelchair. How old was she? Uh, she would have been in her 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was uh, very, very embittered toward the Union for what it had done to her beautiful estate, and uh, she felt it had done a disservice to her husband, too. So uh, if Lee had listened very closely to Murray, he might have become uh, less uh, a gentleman uh, than he was in insofar as his feelings toward the Federals were concerned. But he was spending most of his time making sure his wife was taken care of, uh, in addition to taking care of the Army in the field. What, what role did women play at all in the war? This is a great breakthrough for American women. By 1860, they were second-class citizens. They could not vote in most states. They could not own property. They, their, their bailiwick was the, was the homestead, and that was about it. They, the family was the limits of their existence in most cases. But the demands of the Civil War... Uh, elevated women, and they suddenly pop out in three major areas. Uh, first, they became menial laborers in factories. I don't mean stenographers. I mean actually working with their hands in factories. And I'd like to add a, what I hope is an interesting aside to this. Once they got into this factory work, uh, they found that the hoop skirts of that day just simply were not adequate or appropriate. And so uh, swallowing their pride, they began to dress in men's clothing, including trousers, and that's the origin of women's slacks, which date back to the American Civil War. Uh, secondly, when all the male teachers went into the Army, this created an educational crisis, and without being asked, women jumped forward to assist in educating the young, and they promptly contributed a new word to the American Dictionary, and that word is schoolmistress. But the greatest contribution, I think, that the women of the Civil War made was to nursing with uh, Three million men in the field trying to kill each other. Uh, the instances of uh, wounds and disease and sickness were just incredibly high. Male nurses had always been the vogue in, in America. Indeed, no lady was expected to go into a hospital and smell the things that they smelled and see the sights they saw and watch the blood oozing out on the floors, etc. But uh, the demands of war made it necessary for more nurses to come forward, and the women stepped forward. And all we think somewhere around 8,000 came became volunteer nurses in the war. Many of them died from uh, their chaos. Uh, Louisa May Alcott, most remembered as the author of the novel Little Women, uh, served as a volunteer nurse and came down with typhoid fever, and she was uh, given overdoses of a powerful drug uh, known as calomel, and it uh, brought about the nervous uh, de degeneration of the nervous system. And, Miss Alcott was never the same again. But in those three areas of uh, labor and teaching and nursing, American women made a giant stride forward to the equality they now enjoy. How do you account for the continuing fascination with the Civil War? Oh, it's, uh, it's an infectious thing. I've spent my life in it, and I, I sometimes stand back and wonder that uh, once it bites you, you you're hooked pretty good. I, I think a number of factors are involved here. Uh, one, and probably overriding factor, is that the United States, as we know it, was born in 1865. The nation that exists today came out of the smoke and fire and deaths of the Civil War. Uh, that war, for example, removed the word slavery from the American language. That war established the supremacy of the federal government and established the prevalence of majority rule. But I think in dozens of small ways... The Civil War affects American life every hour, 
and people are not aware of all the things. We, most people are aware of some of them. But if this is a, a quick examples, pairs of shoes were born in the Civil War. Photography comes out of that war, as do canned goods and paper money and standard time and pre-sized clothing and tax, the taxation system we enjoy, Santa Claus. And in the field of music, the first song was written three days after Appomattox, and four years later, by the time of Appomattox, 3,000 songs had been written. There is nothing in the history of music to compare with the impact uh, that uh, the Civil War made on it. And for those who read, uh, historians know that the most popular form of history is biography. And no war contains more fascinating figures than the Civil War, and it is full of biographies of great figures. I just might add that Abraham Lincoln is, has been the subject of 6,000 books and articles and pamphlets. Uh, only Jesus Christ has chalked up a higher score at the hands of biographers than Lincoln. Remarkable. Do you find that African Americans and Southerners are equally interested in the Civil War? I think it depends on each individual case. I think that the, the criteria here is what connection that person may have had with the Civil War generation. Uh, if you've got a, a forebear who fought, or if you have a forebear who was a slave, you can, then you've got a link back with that war. And just as Alex Haley demonstrated in Roots, uh, most people want to find out what their backgrounds is, even if it was bondage. And uh, I think the war has been great for many African Americans to learn where they have come from and what they have done. In other words, you know, for example, we remember Frederick Douglass, not because he was a slave, but for what he did after he left slavery, uh, threw off slavery and made it on his own. And the same, I think, exists for most generations. African Americans, I, I think, are basically caught in a dichotomy when they try and study the war. They, they naturally resent the veneration of anything Confederate, especially the Bible flag. But at the same time, it, it was that civil war that gave them freedom and promised them equality. Indeed, if any one segment of the American population benefited the most from the civil war, it was former slaves. And the fact that those goals of freedom and promised equality have not been fully attained, I think, is another reason for anti-civil war sentiment among African Americans. I understand how they feel, and I understand what they would like and how they would like to view the war, but you cannot change history for what it was. Well, that leads me to my next question, and that is this. How do Southerners in urban and rural areas view the Civil War today, and how do they view Lincoln, slavery, and racism? Oh, I think uh, many Southerners would like to argue that uh, slavery was not the, the major cause, uh, when, in fact, the facts of history they are incontestable. Slavery did cause the Civil War. It's the overriding cause, but I don't think it is the sole cause. I think a lot of other things were involved, uh, one of which was certainly emotionalism. These young people were thinking with their mouths. They, they were caught up in, in the grip and feelings of the moment, and uh, they just uh, let their emotions take control. This war came at a time, too, when, when a sectionalism was changing. The South had been the dominant region since the nation was formed, eight of our first 11 presidents were Southerners, uh, and suddenly by 1850, 1860, the South is losing ground because all this great flow of immigration into the North has given the North control of the population, which translates into control of the House of Representatives, and the South is slowly becoming a minority section. I think another factor, just to throw out, too, and at election time this year, is simply to point out that... Uh, 
we have three branches of government. We, we claim that we are government of checks and balances. But let's face it, when push comes to shove, uh, while we look in a crisis, is to the White House. We look to the president to be our leader. And from 1837 to 1860, in that long 23-year period when the nation was slowly falling apart, there were not outstanding presidents there. There was no great leader to step in and try and stop the squabble as best they could. So I think Southerners today would like to say that, well, state rights had a lot to do with it. Well, it did, when state, but the state rights issue came up in defending slavery. Agriculture versus industry had a lot to do with it, they say. Well, again, that's true, but the agriculture was dependent upon the sweat of, of black slaves. So you can go on with all these other things, but I think you just have to face the reality that slavery was the primary cause of the war. I think a far more ranging question, not to get long-winded here, might be simply was secession legal. The Supreme Court's never ruled on the issue. Mm. Uh, we, 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 would, we like to think we don't know whether it's legal or not. The Union Army has made the question moot. But I think today mature Southerners harbor no ill will against Northerners per se. For goodness sakes, the war's been over 140 years. The issues are settled. Only the memories and the memoirs differ from person to person. Even if there are no harbored feelings of ill will, does the South still view the North in the Civil War as an unjust war? I don't think so. Um, the South went out to uh, to protect its own way of life, to defend its own uh, southern um, pursuits of agriculture and whatnot. Uh, I think that ill will of which you speak might have been present in the early 20th century. I know around the 1950 or so, I could detect it still there. I think that the great bulk of that ill will disappeared with the centennial years, 1961, 1965, when, when the nation celebrated the 100th anniversary of that Civil War, which in itself is startling because nations don't normally do this. But the Civil War centennial just seemed to be something Americans wanted to honor. And I was much involved in it. I was working out of the White House at the time. And I was just amazed at the number of times Northerners and Southerners came together and to remember the past, though they were coming from opposite directions in that past. I don't think the, uh, there's that much ill will now. Now, there's a tendency to think there is because the South pays more attention to that war than, than any other section of the nation. What is the legacy of the Civil War in the South today, and what three stories capture the spirit of this legacy? Oh, I think the legacy of the South in that war is that the South believed it was maintaining the Constitution of the forefathers and not letting that Constitution be thwarted or altered by abolitionists and other radicals in the North. If you look at the Southern Confederacy, you will discover in its Constitution probably the greatest example of plagiarism we have on record. The Confederate Constitution is basically the United States Constitution. Interesting. The Confederate flag was red, white, and blue. The God of the Confederacy was the same God that prevailed on the opposite side of the Potomac River. But I think the South remembers because it's so difficult to forget. After all, the Southerners are the only Americans who've ever been defeated. They're the only Americans who've ever been put under military occupation. And we Americans are the poorest losers in the world, mainly because we're so unaccustomed to it. Mm. We just don't know how to be a loser. And if I may wander for a second just to feel a bit, I think Vietnam cannot die because we didn't win it. It still sticks in our gut, and that's why that war stays alive. So 
The war still agitates in some quarters, but I, the war lives in other things. I think in my own memory, I can remember uh, during the centennial when the governor of Indiana came down to Montgomery, Alabama, and returned some captured Alabama battle flags to Governor George Wallace, and it was the only time I ever saw Governor Wallace succumb to emotion. There was a soldier named Richard Kirkland, who, in a law during the Battle of Fredericksburg, and at a risk of his life, this Confederate soldier crawled out on the battlefield and with canteens to give water to wounded and dying enemy Federal soldiers. And a few years in the 1960s, the states of New Jersey, South Carolina, and Virginia collaborated to put up an enormous and moving monument to the man known as the Angel of Marie's Heights. The Lincoln Memorial in Washington today was originally intended as a monument. It's now become a temple, and you can go there and stand at that monument and stand inside that monument for any length of time, and people will come in and kneel on the cold marble and pray to Mr. Lincoln. I mean, his soul goes marching on. And then I was very much impressed in the long uh, funeral services for President Reagan. One song, and one song only, was played at every stop along the way, the National Cathedral, the U.S. Capitol back in California for the final services, and that song was the Battle Hymn of the Republic, the most unforgettable tune to come out of the American Civil War. I think most non-Southerners uh, uh, don't understand what the South, where the South is coming from or what the South really is. The South was the battleground of a great war, and it's difficult to forget that. But the South is not a land of bigotry and racism. Those sins are spread all across America from one end to another. And I often marvel at the fact in traveling around the South that American flags and church steeples fill southern skylines, whether you're in Virginia or in Texas. This has been a remarkable interview. This is Civil War Talk Radio, and I'm Gaston Espinoza. Today we've had the great pleasure of interviewing Dr. James Robertson. Dr. Robertson, thank you so much for this interview. And thank you for letting me be with you. You've been listening to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Phil Russman.